Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm just uh, trying to settle down from the chaos that I've had the past hour or so. So. <laughs> so what? So what? Were, what kind of messages were you getting? Uh, well, a lot of them got. Uh, I don't have them in front of me, but uh, forewarning me about James White and. That kind of thing. That, well, well, I could share a few with you. I'm sure the person won't mind. I don't have to mention their name. They sent me this video from uh, James R. White Exposed, and then it has this guy, and he has um, the new King James Bible. And you, of course, you've probably heard the argument about that symbol that they have on it. It's supposed to represent like the Trinity. It's also used in witchcraft. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, then it goes into this uh, talking about James White's book, uh, The King James Only Controversy, and this guy criticizing the book, but in the middle of him criticizing, he admits that he's never read it yet. He hadn't read it yet. Yeah. But he somehow he has uh, enough knowledge and wisdom concerning the book to criticize it. And this is what I'm starting to see a repetition is going on. I'm guilty of it myself. That we pass judgment on people and their messages based on what we hear from other people. This whole thing about, you know, the New King James Bible and that symbol that I can't remember the name, but maybe he mentions it. Um, First of all, it's a form of superstition and an idolatry even to put meaning into that symbol yep. as far as it being something of witchcraft. And, and nowhere does, does anybody demonstrate that that symbol, or I can't think of the name of it, but you know what it is? I know you're, it's not the Fernalini, it's the well, I can't remember the name of it, but it's supposed to be the representation of the Trinity type of thing. You know what I'm talking right. about? Well, anyways, uh, there's no way that no one ever demonstrates that which came first, the witches taking it from the Christians or the Christians taking it from the witches. And anyways, at the end of the day, it's, it's putting faith in a symbol, and um, which is ridiculous. Well, by, by that same argumentation, no one can read the King James Bible then. 
because if we were to use their argument because it's the book of the Mormons. <laughs> the Mormons hold that book to be the inspired text and no other outside of, you know, Joseph Smith's writing. So <clears throat> I guess by that same argumentation, we shouldn't be reading that Bible at all because it's owned by a, a contrary religion. It, it, you could pick, you can pick and choose about a thousand different things based on that argument. If it's got this symbol, and I went down that whole road. I mean, I got rid of every symbol or anything that remotely looked like a symbol in my house when I went down that road, you know. And then I realized, I basically, well, this is, here's I can't even drive my cars, you know, because they're pagan. You know, I don't know. It, it gets really ridiculous. Well, yeah, it is. It is really ridiculous because we don't think. We don't think past it, you know. We we get influenced by it and go, "Oh my gosh, it's good." I mean, I was the same way. I was influenced by it too until somebody said, "Well, give me, a, you know, give me a, you know, <laughs> the, the notion that maybe I had a question what I'm thinking." You know what I mean? But it looks yeah, here yeah. stuff like uh, <clears throat> this is some of the stuff. I. Uh, Here's somebody that kind of supports King. Uh, he does a very good job here of supporting James White. He says, you want proof that the KJV has been revised and the 1611 edition contains the Apocrypha. It was completely removed. That is a revision. In 1769, the version... Uh, which you are now using has multiple word changes from the 1611 edition. This is a revision. There are multiple smaller revisions in between where words were changed and updated to more modern language revisions. Also, the KJV is partially translated from the Latin Vulgate used by the Catholic Church. Amorous, who created the Texas Receptus for the New Testament, which was one of the manuscripts used by the KGB translators, was a Catholic priest and even dedicated his Texas Receptus to the Pope. To the Pope. Yeah. So if you are so afraid of the Vatican having control of the text, you should be scared to death of the KGB. <laughs> and as yep. this person why says... Do think, why do you think the Puritans stuck with the Geneva for so long? Absolutely. Well, you know, the thing is, too, is I'm noticing, too, is a lot of these folks that, you know, they don't take it so seriously. You know, don't be uh, cultish about your belief in the KGB. And uh, numerous folks said that to me and then are now responding negatively to a well-reasoned and logical argument from James White and the reason why we shouldn't. Um, so I don't know, but I think it's clear that what has happened is this guy is we passed judgment. I I have I passed judgment on him a year and a half ago. I didn't like the guy; I couldn't stand to be annoyed me. His, yeah, like you talked about the voice, kind of seemed almost a bit effeminate and arrogant. And but the more and more I listen to him. More I'm realizing this guy is, is, is pretty solid in what he understands, and uh, maybe we should humble ourselves a little more, you know. But I think these people here, you know, that these Calvinists, 
but somehow he's a hyper-Calvinist and he's just a terrible person because he believes in election. I was going to say, I wonder if a lot of the attacks aren't actually from King James only. I wonder if they're from non-Calvinists. I was going to ask you that. I think so. I think I think a lot of it is that, and I think a lot of it is just people like you were saying, you know, just like myself, who really didn't think it through enough. Um... You know, we hear something we don't like, we see something we don't like, and instead of um, following through and figuring out what the guy's actually saying, we just pass judgment. It's really easy to do that. Like this one guy says, James White makes, let's see, this guy, you can tell he's not even a, a pastor or anything. He might be. We'll say he's a pastor. We'll give him that. But even lay, laity, a lot of churches say this, and people... Uh, James White makes God's word of non-effect. He teaches that <laughs> you can't trust the KJV Bible alone. He didn't teach that. Okay. He didn't not teach that. No. He never taught that. So that's a lie right there. He puts doubt in people's minds because of him. People stop believing in the Bible altogether. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a lie. I know I'm listening well, to him. He doesn't, he doesn't put the doubt in, in in the Bible to me, but then again, I listen to his argument and what he's coming from. No, like he put, well, he puts the doubt he puts the doubt in man's tradition of holding to one English text. That's all. Well, that's all. But he doesn't you know put the doubt he in he the po- word of God. If anything, he does the complete opposite. He supports how marvelous and wonderful our God is. That now for two thousand years at the preservation yeah. of the, the, the gospel, the word of God. And how it's been, you know, preserved all these years. That's a yeah. miracle. No, he, and now that we have well, many, we have so many different voices, so many different these scriptures out there, or what do you call them, uh, manuscripts, that that supports us. Like he brings up the, about the um, the Muslim faith, Islam, and how they only have one, the Quran, and we have thousands to compare, so that we can have a more logical, concise, more... We have more support in our, in our scripture. Uh, yeah. it's, re, it's, re, it's it's people not, you know, not thinking through, not listening to the guy. They just automatically... It's, and well, I'm they're, guilty. They're, I'm sinning. Guilty they're, they're, they're sinning. Let's call it what it is. They're sinning by railing accusations without... based on nothing other than their own tradition. They don't understand the argument that James White's making. They just don't like that he's attacking their tradition. The argument that he's making is the same argument the Reformers made, the same argument that the early church fathers made as, as early as the 3rd century. And this is all well documented. So either God's Word hasn't been preserved and was in a dark age for a long, long time because it wasn't available in the King James, which isn't a logical, consistent argument, or you've got, you've got a conflict here with the tradition where people are holding to this, this, you know, this idea so tightly that, you know, it doesn't matter who the person is or what they say or anything like that. They're immediately just, you know, people just throw things right, like throwing things at the wall. You know what I mean? It's just, they just pick, they just pick up an accusation and toss it. I think, well, part of that, a lot of it's personal in nature. A lot of it's personal in nature. It's not even relevant to the topic. It's just, you know, for example, when you say things like making God's word of no effect, I mean, 
do you realize the charge? I mean, when you throw something out there like that, you're, you've got to you've got to have some sort of witness or testimony to that. But is anything ever given? No. No. And see, all that all that backbiting and throwing, you know, tossing mud to and fro, that's not preserving or defending the gospel or anything like that. It, it's not calling the man to repentance, to have forgiveness in Christ. No, it's just, you know, he's a he's a he's a you know, you might as well call him a demon you know, or something like that with no hope of ever hearing the gospel, which now that, that person, just like a good Pharisee, has held their tradition so high that they become judge and jury over a man's heart. See, it, in other words, this, this legalism stuff carries on a, a heavier weight than, you know, we have to lower God's law to kind of make it permissible. You know, in other words, we justify it by saying, I'm defending God's word. Actually, God doesn't need you to defend his word. He's proven throughout history that he's preserved it by himself. He's done that work. But when you hold to your tradition and say, this English translation is the word, that's purely tradition. In fact, it reminds me of Roman Catholicism in about seven different ways. You know? Oh, and I didn't pick seven, you know, to symbolize a holy number or anything like that. I just picked seven at random. Right. You know? It, it, or here, I'll pick three just to send them, just to send them into the hills. You know what I mean? I got three reasons. My point is, is, okay, Roman Catholicism reminds me of it like this. Latin was the only language that it could be read in. The Bible. But the, the manuscripts that they had, that was what they read it from. That was the only allowed version. And then you have Arminianism or anti-Calvinism. You know, you have that being tied to the King James only bunch as well. Not saying all of them are. But a lot of them are, a lot, especially a lot of the ones who go after James White. They tend to be anti-Calvinist, just, just like Roman Catholics. They don't believe that the doctrines of grace are what Scripture teaches, clearly. You know, they hold to man cooperating or synergistically, you know, participating in, in their own salvation, just as if they were God. And they don't come with... I mean, it's literally the same old thing. John 3, 16, you know, First Peter quotes you the same thing. They're going to go nowhere else. They're, they're not going to be able to walk through Romans 8 and 9 and just let the text speak for itself. They're going to immediately start hopping around. They're, they can't stay right there, you know. So anyway, my point is, is those, those things remind me of Roman Catholicism and not even... Not even uh, I mean, not even just in the, the, the aspect of translation being one and one only, uh, but uh, the idea that, you know, somehow man is cooperating in their salvation, but in the, the aspect of tradition holding to, you know, this, I don't know, belligerent a mindset of attacking anybody who disagrees and not offering them the gospel as the means, as the as the working in the Holy Spirit in somebody's life to bring them to repentance and receive forgiveness. No, that's, we're past that. Now it's judge and jury time. Now we're going to judge and, and uh, pass sentence upon somebody, you know, so on and so forth. And it really has very little to do with James White. He's just among many uh, of people who have been defending the same, the same thing over and over again. Sola Scriptura, Tota Scriptura, from the formed, you know, faith. I mean, from the, the doctrines of grace. So, I don't know, man. It's kind of crazy. It gets me riled up because I went down that whole road. 
I mean, I went. I wasn't just on the road traveling it. I was carrying the flags, blowing yeah. the trumpet. I mean, I was full on into it. <laughs> uh, so, same here. Same here. I I docked him too, but that is. I look at myself and it's based on my own ignorance. If to be honest, it's based on my ignorance of the scriptures, the history of the scriptures. Uh, you know, these manuscripts, where they come from. I've put my faith and trust in men. And most of those men, as I've gone through this journey, I've discovered that you know, they teach a lot of heresy, and I didn't know that at the time, but now I do. And so now I, <laughs> I question what they have to say. But uh, I think things really changed for me with him when I listened to that debate with Steve Anderson. Steve Anderson said that Christ went to hell. I'm like, well, he's already acting like a punk as it was. I hate to say that, but that's what he's acting <laughs> punkish. You know what I mean? He wasn't being respectful. He was in, you know, James White's place, and he should have been more respectful. But he was out to try to get James White. <clears throat> and the problem is too yeah. is that uh, we haven't really thoroughly researched enough of the different Bibles out there to know which ones are close to being accurate and those which are just flat out true corruptions. So we just package it all. It's like anything past the King James has to be heresy. It has to be the Jesuits involved. And I'm not saying the Jesuits weren't involved, but he makes a very valid argument that money is a bigger issue that motivates these people who offer up a lot of these newer translations and in the end of the day, we talk about how many English translations do we need to have. Uh, you know, it's it's ridiculous. We it's have just, more than enough. We have yeah. too many. We got one. You know, but this the biggest thing is is that this whole um, you know King James only is on debate is just it's he's done a, like a very good uh, uh, job. Praise the Lord that he. Yeah, he raised up a person like James White to help us understand the fallacy of the argument, you know? Or will we be trapped in that whole thing, too, in self-righteousness? Well, so. think, think, I mean, you know, I think for me, when I came across James White, like the third or fourth time, after having studied this history, after having actually sat down and read my Bible, which terrified me at first, I mean, I was really afraid to just sit down and read my Bible. You know, I thought, what if I'm bored? What if I don't like it? I mean, you know, I was I was hesitant and afraid to just sit down and read page after page of my Bible. But when I started doing that and realizing, you know, just 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 going through it on my own and just, just reading it plainly, not trying to pull out every meaning I possibly could or anything like that, just sitting down and reading it like I would any other book, you know. Then I started coming across, you know, I, for example, I came across Spurgeon. He was one of the first ones I started reading his sermons. But during this whole time of, you know, studying the Bible and uh, studying, you know, history, church history and things like that, I begin to realize there's this very consistent, succinct train of thought and practice that the church has carried out for thousands of years, even in strife, even in, you know, consternation with various denominations and things like that, and yet all being united and coming to the same conclusion 
even during the Reformation on things like Antichrist, who, who Christ is, the Gospel, the Trinity, things, I mean, just very simple things that we kind of take for granted nowadays, or we kind of spin off and have the same argument that history, literally for over just over 2,000 years now, literally has had these arguments over and over. In other words, we're not presenting any new arguments. They're all old. They're just being drug up. You know, it seems like every generation or so, just the same arguments keep getting, you know, which I find interesting. Um, but anyway, yeah, just sitting down and, and just kind of letting history speak for itself and not having anyone point me in any which direction, just reading the Bible, you know, plainly, it didn't, without anyone having, pointing me in a direction, and then coming across like Spurgeon and Luther and Zwingli and Knox, I mean, especially Knox, you know, all these different things, all these different people and all these different times and eras throughout history, then coming to James White, kind of at the tail end here, I, I've been on James White kick you know, probably for the past month and a half or so. And just watching debates, listening to various lectures, and just totally, it all just totally lines up with history. You know, and <clears throat> there is, so far, there's very little I disagree on. You know, being, Well, you know, yeah, the part of the problem is, is how can we disagree on it? Are you and I experts like this guy is to spend his lifetime <laughs> studying the manuscripts, the history of the manuscripts, where they actually came from? No. We don't know. We have to be honest about our position in this thing. And you know what? His arguments are much more, uh, to me, it actually, for me at least, might, uh, maybe a year and a half ago it wouldn't work, but now it's like, well, I have more, more faith in the Bible and the, the, the Word of God than I ever have. Because the truth of the matter is he's preserved his Word. And what is his Word? His primary message. You know, people want, you know, <clears throat> Every little detail in the book has to be absolutely 100%, or is it the the message of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us, who God is, what is salvation, what is the gospel? These are the important messages in the day. Whether you have it all perfectly down, you know, everything scripturally as far as, that's ridiculous. I mean, we're missing the point there. I'm not saying it's not important. And it's probably going to sound you might want to clarify. No, I, I think it's what, what uh, James White is saying. is that we should continually find better, more accurate manuscripts, translations of the Word of God. If there's something not right in a book that we're reading, you know, the Bible, it says the King James, we should be honest about it and say, listen, that verse doesn't actually belong based on if you look at earlier texts. Well, I, I, the way that he put it... it yeah, the, the way that he's put it is this. Now, in, as far as the English language goes, there's really no much further we can go with it. You know, no. that 100% of the Bible has been proven to be accurate from the original languages. So we have all of the inspired word. We have 100% of it. It's proven. It's backed up. It's, there, it's evidential, meaning we can point you to our sources and the history of our sources. And as far as the English language goes, there's really not a whole lot we can do with the translations. I mean, if, if somebody has a good, you know, several of the kind of the basic, you know, uh, translations like, you know, New American Standard is the one that he recommends. It's not my favorite, but that's the one he recommends. Uh, you know, King James, New King James, uh, uh, even the ESV, 
things like that. If you have these several translations and are able to go through various biblical texts with those, you know, at your those resources available to you, then you will have a full understanding, full as one could have, taking from the Hebrew and the Greek into the English language, 100%. And you will have all of God's Word available to you. And his point is, is that many people have nine translations on their shelves, never read. You know, people have, you know, a hundred different translations available on the iPad and iPhone and computer, and they never read them. Yeah. So the issue here isn't, do we need a better translation anymore? I've, I've heard them say that's not really the issue. As far as the English language goes, we pretty much have it, you know, and we have several good versions of it. Um, that, well, uh, you know, well, yeah, well, my, my thinking is, that there, what is the harm if, you know, they bring out a, a new revised version of the King James, they have something that's amiss, and they correct it. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So to want to say there is something wrong with that, now we're just putting our faith in tradition and uh, and not actually and wanting to know the full the fullness of the truth of the Word of God. You know what I mean? Well, we want it, it our way, and that's it. <laughs> you know. Well, and I, I would add that it it comes from a lack of faith and trusting that God is able to preserve His Word, even if it's said a different way in different translations. You know, I mean, King James only will attack, like, the divinity of Christ and things like that. But oddly enough, the New King James Version actually clarifies the divinity of Christ in several passages that the King James doesn't. That's true. From from what he's saying, and and even from my own... I mean, there's some important things, you know, if you look at, you know, Daniel's chapter 9, you know, there are, you know, taking away the Messiah's important issue. I agree, I, and I pointed that out. I pointed that out to people. You know, you have, especially in the ESV, you go and read Daniel nine. It does not read as succinctly as the King James. Right. But see that that doesn't but, but, cause but, me to panic. And they're not bringing that up either. These people that are all King James only they're not uh, bringing that up. They're just attacking. No, because most King. of them are dispensational, dispensational, fundamental Arminianists. Most of them. I'm not saying all of them. I'm not categorizing everything. Look, let me say that. Are we on air or are we just talking? We're on air. <laughs> okay. Because I want, I, well, I, hear this. I want people to hear this and have, you know, our discussion because where we're coming from, where I'm coming from, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and because, you know, you're the one that, uh, and others is, you know, listen, you know, don't be so, you know, it's kind of dangerous to go down this road. Well, a King James only well, and so I've been just researching it, and I'm discovering, well, my gosh, Ryan is actually right, and so is James White, and so are others who have warned me. <laughs> the, the only re- well, the only reason why I ask is I'm walking around my neighborhood, and there's cars driving by. Oh, Did don't you hear any background noises? Okay. Well, okay. then let me give this little, since we are on air, let me give this disclaimer. Personally, I like the King James. I was I went to a Baptist school. I was raised on the King James. I don't see there being any issue with somebody who likes or prefers the King James. In fact, I like to study from the King James from my a Bible that my wife got me called the, the Westminster Reference Bible, and it includes a very 
expensive Bible that you can't get anymore, but it includes uh, a self-interpreting Bible from hundreds of years ago. Um, I think you can get it, but you can't get like a hard copy or a modern hard copy. So this reference Bible is great. I mean, you know, I know some people don't like reference Bibles, and that's fine. I have a reader's Bible. I have a reference Bible. And my reference Bible is the King James. And I like studying from it. You know, and I like I like reading the same passage in several different translations. Now, again, there are paraphrased versions that are horrible. They're not even technically uh, translations at all. And most people who understand the biblical languages know that those translations are full of baloney. You know, so it, 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 nobody's getting duped there. But there are some people who prefer the King James Bible. My little disclaimer is, is you know, James White, as well as those who don't, necessarily hold to the King James, don't belittle it. Don't 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 view it as a you know a horrible translation or anything like that. And so for those who do read the King James or prefer it, I don't see anything wrong with that. But there's there's some there's a misstep when we then up exalt it and uphold it against even the King James translated. The ones who are actually translating the text saying you shouldn't do this. Right. You know? It, that even the translators wouldn't be King James only. And they even huh. said that in their introduction to the King James Bible. Right. So it's just saying when we, when we uphold it, when we exalt it, we show our unbelief. We expose our lack of faith in believing that God has preserved in the original languages his word, and it has been preserved for over 2,000 years. I mean, longer than that if you want, if you, get in, if you include the Old Testament. But I'm just saying... From the entirety of Scripture as we have it today, it has been passed down for over 2,000 years. And in various ways and by many hands, they have copied, copies, copies, and copies. And the world looks at this and they freak out. They, they think they, you have this religion called Christianity that bases its, you know, everything's founded in God's Word of the Bible. These, these manuscripts that have been transcribed and passed down and copied and destroyed and recopied and you know how is it that it's even preserved it's almost a joke to them but if you understand the history of how we have the bible and you're able to look at it outside of the lens of king james only you actually find a very edifying uplifting preserved powerful word that god promised would be here and you can easily defend it you can easily explain the various translations, the text variances, the you know the translation, how the copies went from this person to that person, things like that. I mean, there's a lot of you know holes and patches and things that the world can poke at if you're a King James onlyist, and you you end up undermining your own argument, and eventually it'll become a gospel issue because instead of focusing on Christ and applied for the forgiveness of sins and preaching the creature and, you know, doing, uh, 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 going and preaching the gospel and baptizing and, and teaching uh, others, all nations, really, all that Christ has commanded, well, now it becomes about uh, pointing to a specific translation, you know, which is a tradition. And it's, it's, it's not a very long tradition. It's four, what, four or five, uh, 400 years now compared to the entirety of church history. That's not that we're we're getting stuck in the tradition, right. and even the Puritans who loved the King James, after they loved the Geneva, after they loved the Wycliffe and the Tyndale, 
You know, they didn't hold it King James only. That is a, you know where King James only comes from? The mid-1800s, where all these cults like Mormonism and evolution and all actually, these different cults started Actually, I guess up. what? I, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my recording, though. That, that one guy brings up an interesting part. It actually comes from the SDAs. I, oh, that, I need to listen to that. I didn't yeah, know go that. back to the very first one. It has, uh, it's the SDAs. And it actually was something that happened... Um, I can't believe it's Wil- Wilkinson, not Wilkinson, Wilkes or Wilkes. I can't remember her name. You have to look it up. I don't want to say the wrong name. But anyways, they, they go through that and, and uh, explain that, you know. <clears throat> so anyways, the point, uh, the point is, you know, here's another. This is this, uh, another, this, this guy says on this video says, uh, I'm not even, I mean, I could read, uh, I wish I was still, having the earlier show, the chat room and the things that were brought up there, but it's not really important. And maybe I'll bring up a couple of things from the email, but I don't I want first of all if I do, it's, I want to know the person who sent to me the email, I'm not attacking them. I'm just bringing up what was brought up. I have a lot of respect for the person and I'm sure that they will come around to the way I have as well, that it's a foolish argument, this whole <laughs> attacking James White. But anyways this one guy says uh, you know, he's talking about the, he says this, um, well, the one guy defending James White says, uh, Dr. White has debated many atheists, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, by the way, Jesuits and Mormon Catholics. And so don't forget that. Uh, some people, including Bert, uh, Bart Ehrman, um, and et cetera, Dan Barker. He is a great defender of the faith. Do you even understand the transmission process of the New Testament? Please read his book before you make assertions. And then this guy, this is, and you know this guy didn't do it. Because even his language and his, and his, and his sentence structure and the wording proves that he, this guy has not actually read the King James only controversy book from uh, James Webb, he says, uh, that doesn't change anything. Debating doesn't save souls. Well, first of all, how do you know that? You don't know that for one bit, that someone's soul had to get saved from the debate. We don't know that, do we? Do you know um, that? I, can I point out something? Uh, does anyone remember October 31st? You know, you're talking about... Uh, when Martin 95 pieces. Oh. Am I breaking up? Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I get, I get, I have some dead spots when I go walking around my neighborhood here. Uh, sure. I should be back now. Uh, does anyone remember October 31st, 1517? That <laughs> Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door. That was essentially not a declaration of any kind of any sort of doctrine. If you go through the 95 Thesis, you'll find things that Martin Luther eventually changed his position on. But essentially, all he was doing was calling for a debate, a yeah, scholarly debate. And that's he true. debated, you know, I uh, forget his name. What's his name? John, uh, it'll come to me here in a second. John, a great debater of his time. Uh, well, uh, he, some people who know this. Em, he not, debated people. Yeah, I know. Uh, Emerson, or what's his name? Um, 
Well, Erasmus is one Erasmus. of them, yeah. Erasmus. But the first one he ran into was John something. I, I, it, it'll come, it's a short last name. I think it's with an E, Eck, John Eck. There we go. Okay. He debated John Eck. That was one of his first debates that got him in all sorts of trouble. You know, debates have been around as long as Christianity has been around. In fact, Paul, the apostle, goes to Mars Hill and debates with the, the philosophers and the, and the thinkers of his time. By the way, I'm guilty of this too. Uh, by the way, I used to have this stance as well that debates don't work. But that's that's begin. That's because I was listening to two people debating who didn't know what they're talking about. If they don't know what they're talking about, and don't, <laughs> yeah, you're right. But if one person actually does know what they're talking about, the debate is very useful because it's exposed to the fact that they, you know, they're sharing truth and the other person isn't. And it goes here. So, so debating doesn't save the souls. By the way, I have researched his book, and I'm familiar with that book, uh, which doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. It can, people lie all the time, especially Christians, people that call themselves Christians, including myself. I have been guilty of it myself. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is this. He makes people doubt God's word to be complete. If it's not complete, then it is not reliable. Really? That's a bogus argument right there. If it's not complete, then yeah. it's not reliable. That's not true. That's a bogus argument. Well, it is complete. It was completed uh, roughly 19, what, what do we want to say? Uh, I think I think the, the latest you can get is within the first century of those texts being written. Yeah, but so people, people... Well over 1,900 years. What about for thousands of years, uh, people, you know, who haven't... Look at, there's people who are saved who have never even read the Bible cover to cover. It's a bogus argument. I'm not saying it's not important to have the 66 books and read them. I'm just saying for thousands of years, many people did not even have access to a complete Bible, the Word of God. But they had the complete message, the importance of it, right? And partially through confessionals, yeah, and creeds, yep. Yeah, so it's ridiculous, that argument. It's a bogus argument. Um, and by the way, it's something that I probably would have said earlier, even six months ago, my immaturity in all this. Um, and he says, it's because of him, some people don't trust the Bible 100% anymore. But it's another false claim. There's, there's, uh, do you know anybody because of James White doesn't trust the Bible 100%? No. In fact, I'm going to ask him. Because that's not what Scripture says prevents people from hearing God's word. It's not any one person, you know. See, again, that's where you have God's sovereignty versus man's sovereignty. You know, if man has this ability, then okay, I could see why somebody would think that. You know, but if it, if God is the one who's sovereign, then the only reason why somebody's not drawn to His word is not interested in finding out what His word has to say, and it's an issue of the heart, not well, an here, issue of interest. Here's here's part of the false argument too that people are being misled. It says this is what this person says. God that we serve, the God that we serve is not a God that will allow us having the wrong Bible over hundreds of years. The KJV Bible has stood the test of time. Okay, let's look at let's really reason out this argument. Just look at this. Now, the God that we serve is not a God that would allow us having the wrong Bible 
Did James so White did James White ever say that the KGB is the wrong Bible? Did he ever say that? He did not. Did he? I'll answer it for you. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> true, no, true. And I, I would take it. A, I would take it a step further and say, should we write that in the back of our Bible? Because where in the Bible does it say that? God tells us that His word will be preserved, that He will deliver it to His children that it will remain in them, that they will abide in it, so on and so forth. And do we even, do we even understand what the word represents? Who is the word? You know, I mean, we're, we're negating a lot of things to presumptuously say that, that God would not allow this or that. That's speaking presumptuously. And, and if that is, in fact, true, then we should all take the last you know, little blank page at the very end of your Bible, and we should scribble on there what this person has to say about it, as though he were getting it directly from God or infallibly from God, because he's speaking presumptuously to say that God wouldn't do or not do this, not based on Scripture. The Scripture gives us the promise, and by faith we hold to that promise. And by the way, we can very easily see that proven throughout history, church history, and the example they set forth. But here's another argument that one can make, is um, what about the, not, not only before the King James was, written, but what about the times where it was only available in Latin to a majority of people? Is it not, could they, what do you do with that uh, large chunk of history? In other words, they're contradicting their own statement just simply by not knowing history. They're saying God wouldn't allow this, and yet there's a huge chunk of history where the, the, the only access you had to a Bible was either through a priest or in Latin. And that's just simple facts of history. It doesn't mean that people weren't saved or people didn't come to hear the gospel because that was faithfully being proclaimed during that whole dark age. That, in, in fact, that's where the Reformation was birthed from, was out of a proclamation of the gospel. And, and God had mercy upon mankind and opened their eyes and their ears and brought them to himself. And then all of a sudden you have the Bible being printed, you know, the printing press, you have it being delivered in multiple languages, people reading through the entirety of Scripture in their own homes amongst persecution and all sorts of strife and trial. Then you have nations, you know, kicking out Roman Catholicism and its political leaders and walking into freedom and democracies and republics and various, you know, transformations of political and governmental setups and all sorts of things going on from this. And uh, it just kind of boggles the mind that somebody would say that God wouldn't allow this when, if you look at history, he's always preserved it. He's always um, kept it with his people. And yet you could, you know, you could easily see that in history where the King James Bible either didn't exist yet or just in the simple fact that it was only available in one, one of two ways, through, like I said, through a priest or in Latin. You know, I mean, they were chained to the pulpits. You know, they were too expensive for the ordinary person to buy. I mean, that just, it's like a contradict, it's like two contradictory statements in the same, anyway, I'm, I'm probably overanalyzing it, but you get what I'm saying? It just doesn't add up with history or, you know, the Bible's promise to preserve his word. There's been false teachers as long as there's been false, you know, representations of scripture. So the issue isn't, you know, what one translation do we have is if God has promised us one translation in English, 
which wasn't even around when the biblical languages were, or sorry, when the when the biblical text was being written. Um, it, is any of this making sense, or am I overanalyzing it? No, it's it's making sense. I'm just thinking. Uh, I'm just thinking about how. What the heck's wrong with us? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I, I, I'm yeah, I know it's the fall of all sinners, and that's why we need a savior. And there's we can't trust in our works; we have to trust in the Lord. But I mean, I'm, I'm reading all these hateful messages towards this guy. Knocking in the way he looks. Of course, you you know we both guilty of judging the way he looks, and uh, and uh, just this bogus arguments. How many people have really sat down and actually listened to this guy? Honestly, you know, spent the time and said, okay, I'm gonna spend four or five hours and I'm gonna try to understand where this guy's coming from. We want something in little snippets, you know, in the sound bites. And we think that we have an understanding. We have lost the capacity to critically think, haven't we? An awful lot of us. We think that we can figure things out in 15 minutes. Something is as important in depth as the argument, especially when we're talking about the, you know, King James onlyism. You know, what does that really mean? What's the real issues behind it? Because we're lazy. We want somebody else to tell us. Well, even yeah. like our tradition, we like holding to what makes us feel safe and comfortable and uh, and really, you know, kind of pins us in a position of just being critical of everyone else. I mean, the focus isn't on the gospel. The focus is on a translation or against the person who's defending the gospel worldwide. In fact, James White is often criticized for turning his debates into a platform to share the gospel. His opponents get frustrated with him because he overemphasizes the gospel in his debates. You know, so here's somebody who's... I never heard that. World to I about. never heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, especially with it. He's been accused of talking about the gospel. Yeah. Well, yeah, just using it as his primary, like things like total depravity and God's sovereignty and things like that using that platform throughout the debates and primarily gets that from atheists, you know, but even, even now, I mean, he just recently did a debate on Calvinism or or more specifically supposed to be on Romans nine and ended up not really being about his opponent didn't really exegete Romans nine, but you know, the debate became about total depravity and things like that. Even his, even professing Christians who debate him are now beginning to say that he's overemphasizing things like God's sovereignty, man's depravity, things like that. Those are all issues of the gospel. Those are all gospel issues, right? I mean, justification is specifically a salvific term, you know? So when you, when we, you know, hit, you know, atheist opponents and things like that will obviously always make that charge, you know, against probably any Christian. But the point is, is, you know, it's not really defending James White. It's more or less exposing people have you know, a proclivity to be drawn to, even if you abstain from the holidays, even if you, you Sorry. know. Did you hear that? No, that's, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no worries. It, it, it was here and there. Um, you know, even people who are dedicated to exposing things and all that, that's, you know, okay, take all that into consideration and, 
you know, that people focus on that, you know, majority of, well, here's, here's the issue. What's when you the, get stuck there, when that becomes your tradition, when that becomes what you hold to more than being corrected and humbled by what God's word is saying, you have a problem there, you know, and it's, it's exampled and outlined for us, even in the old Testament, how people hardened, you know, were hardened to hearing God's word. We have the same issue today as man. You know, one of my little sayings is God has not changed. Man has not changed. Just the scenery has. Man is still as sinful as he's always been. and God is still as sovereign and merciful and just as he has always been. The issue is just the scenery has changed. And man keeps trying to convince himself that when the scenery changes, he's gotten more clever, he's gotten better, or he's doing the, the mysterious work, you know, or something like that. And that's just the nature of man. If we don't understand who we are, we're going to have a very difficult time understanding who God is because we're going to constantly strive to exalt ourselves into a position worthy of God when that's the very essence of work salvation. It opposes the sacrifice once for all made for us through Christ, and it becomes a gospel issue very, very quickly, very subtly, very sneakily, but it certainly becomes one very quickly because now we're undermining the very essence of what Christ has done for us and looking and depending upon him for what he's done, you know, it's just very basic doctrine kind of being undermined in the name of Christianity or in the name of service to God, where we begin to kind of involve our tradition a little bit more heavily into, really, you're not going to find that King James onlyism hyper hyperventilating until the late 1800s, you know, I mean, and then full circulation probably about 70 years ago, where it became more mainstream than it had ever been. So it's, it's fairly new, you know, and, and for most people who would listen to your show, most people who have studied a lot of history and have a good understanding of most of what's gone down, that should be a red flag to them. Anything, uh, in the words of Spurgeon, anything new is probably false. <laughs> There's really nothing new to be revealed in scripture. Most of it has already been revealed. In fact, for most historic Christianity, the way that they perceive it and the way that they've you know, and again, this hasn't been 100% agreed on, but it's been the majority of the historic faith is that essentially all but Christ coming is what remains. You know, now the nitty-gritty details, people have argued back and forth for many years, but essentially there's nothing new to be discovered. You know, God's Word has been revealed, and it's been revealed throughout history, and it's been faithfully revealed. In other words, just as God hold us in texts that are hundreds of years before their time. You know, it's just, it's mind-boggling when you really dig into that. And most of these debates over Christianity are really issues of whether or not to teach for the sake of edification versus to win people to Christ or something like that. In other words, people are taking things that really belong in the house of God to be shared and taught to Christians, uh, for the sake of edification, they've taken that out of the church or away from the church um, and turned it into some sort of evangelistic tool. You know, I mean, Seventh-day Adventists, this is a great example. They use a lot of the history of the papacy, the Antichrist, and false religions, they use it as some sort of evangelistic tool. When we're told clearly in Scripture what our evangelistic tool is, and that is the gospel, and the gospel only. And the gospel, in a nutshell, is given to us in 1 Corinthians 15, the first 
the first four verses. That's just it in a nutshell, but we see in, you know, in the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what the Gospel is. And, and then you have Romans, you know, just read through Romans, and you'll get a good encapsulation. The first three chapters talk about man's depravity. Right. I mean, Paul is setting it right out of the gate. And so what, what is my point in bringing all this up? When we take history and try and turn it into an evangelistic tool, we show our lack of faith. We expose our unbelief in God's Word being able to reach the hearts and minds of men through preaching and teaching like He promised us. And just simply sharing the gospel to repent, believe, in the forgiveness of sins through Christ and what He has done, hey, that that's not going to be sufficient, that that isn't going to convert people, that it isn't going to do, that, that God the Holy Spirit isn't going to do the work that He's been commissioned to do by Christ and by God the Father. So we have a problem here because we're putting now our intellect or our history or something, we're elevating that above God's Word and the ability and the power behind God's Word to do what He promised it would do. Now, again, nothing wrong with history. You and I have talked about this many times. Nothing wrong with history. We've got a problem, though, when we elevate history, when we, when we try and elevate the people in history to be above, you know, Christ or, you know, it, it, we've got a problem here because they were, Martin Luther, believe it or not, was a fallible human being, as he clearly made easy for us to kind of see. You know, all these men were, were flawed and were sinners who needed the covering of Christ and who shed blood like we all do. None of them were perfect. And so that, that means that our ability to defend Christianity as a perfect religion or something um, through the merits of the believers is a problem. You're going to run into a, a quote-unquote gray area where man has fumbled and bumbled, you know, all over the place. But if we hold to the gospel, we can explain very simply that sinners being sinners do what sinners do. They sin. And that they need, like every other sinner, need the mercy and grace of God through the shed blood of Christ, through the work that he's done, that only he could do to cover us, you know? And only by God's sovereignty does that happen, you know? When you tell that story, when you present the gospel, it makes sense of history. It makes sense of, you know, uh, uh, you know, the parts of history where men have clashed, even professing Christians have clashed, you know, and, and where they've made mistakes and where they have sinned publicly, you know. And then you have heresy, which is a whole other topic for some other time, but then you have heretics who, who again, professing Christianity are not being called out or are not being called out according to the text of Scripture, and you run into some... Now you run into, and that's, that's our modern time. That's the era we live in. And so there's this overreaction to call everyone a heretic nowadays because of our, of our limited understanding. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even feel the need to defend, you know, really any of the reformers or any of the early church fathers, as we call them, or, you know, James White or any, because really... God's word trumps them all, prevails, and it has. And pointing to Christ in any way, that, that's, the, that's what we should always land on. That should be where we always end up, is there, you know? But well, people I, want yeah. to make it about everything else. I guess, you know, as far as defending him, you say we shouldn't. But I mean, the, the thing is, is to point out how, uh, 
you know, he can defend himself if people just listen. The problem is you aren't <laughs> listening to him. They passed judgment yeah, yeah. on like this one guy saying that this guy, you know, is promoting the wrong Bible or that he's letting people uh, away from having faith in the Bible or the Word of God. None of these are true statements. And um, they're a form of bigotry and prejudice, a bigotry, if you will, and usually bigotry uh, usually comes from ignorance. And if I look at my own self, and I'm guilty of this in many ways, heck, I'll be honest with you folks, you know, a lot of people who have listened to this, you know, I spent a lot of time exposing the papacy and the, and the Jesuits, and the more and more I do it, the more and more I realize I don't know what we're really talking about. I have a cursory understanding of the history and knowledge. Does that mean that I'm denying the Counter-Reformation and the Jesuits and the Romans' involvement? No. But it's, what I'm saying is, is that I am not Mr. Know-it-all. I don't know everything. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you, Ryan? I am tr- trying to point out to people that, mean, yeah. Yeah, that I, you know, it's, it's, uh, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. And that's why it's so important to keep on learning. And when it comes to judging, you say, you know, people judging James White that he's a Jesuit that he's a stooge for the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I started just, uh, you know, prior to you coming on, I just did a recording where I had a, he had a debate with somebody on the King James onlyism, and it was for about an hour and 20 minutes. And then the next two and a half plus hours was him exposing the Roman Catholic Church. And the more I researched what him exposing the Roman Catholic Church, there's a whole bunch of videos out there on YouTube of him exposing the Roman Catholic Church. Now, my point being in bringing that up is is that the fact that, well, we're passing judgment on someone before we even know what we're talking about. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of judging him. And I, and I guess in defense to him, and from repentance on my end, is to say, listen, I was wrong. I judged this man harshly and wrong, in a, in a wrong manner, and it, my bigotry, my uh, based on ignorance, my judgmentalness, my self-righteousness has kept me from understanding who this man is as far as some of his teachings. A lot of his teachings turn out to be really sound. Now what do I do? <laughs> i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start sharing a lot more of his teachings because I think they're worth people's time to listen to. And, you know, if you don't like the way he looks or the way he sounds, well, then that's like I was. Well, I don't. <laughs> we, we have to look at that. That's our issue. That's not James White's issue. We have to look past that. Or why are we being judgmental? Yeah, well, there you go. I'm the guy. It's not about how the guy looks or how he talks or any of those things. Yeah, look, honestly, his personality, it doesn't quite line up with mine, and I'm sure he'd say the same thing if we ever, if we ever met each other or... You know, anything like that. It, we have different personalities, but I'll tell you right now, I recognize somebody who who puts scripture ahead of himself, above himself. You know, and quite clearly, that's what James White does. It doesn't make him a perfect man. It doesn't mean you know we do exalt him. You know, above anything than a servant of God, doing exactly what God, the Holy Spirit, is commissioned to do, and 
working through God's people. But it's just to say, yeah, I hear you. I, I didn't like the guy. Uh, the first debate I ever really, my introduction to, to James White was essentially on the King James only topic, but very, very briefly, I didn't, I, you know, my stance at the time was, I, I, oh, I can't stand to hear this. I can't even hear this. Well, then the second one was when he debated Chris Pinto. Uh, that was the full, like I heard the full debate. And then my third, my third one during my, uh, you know, a couple of years ago during my whole kind of research beginnings and all that was when he debated um, Dave Hunt. Oh gosh! And uh, <laughs> and that that one drew, drove me nuts. I mean, I didn't necessarily like Dave Hunt, but I certainly didn't like James White. Oddly enough, that was a I terrible debate. It was truly a terrible debate because no one was. It wasn't even really a debate. <laughs> no, it was just people talking over each other. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It was supposed to be an interview, and then it kind of turned into something else. But anyway, the point being is, again, once I, you know, once I just realized here's what here's what Christianity has, how here's how they've responded, here's what they've pointed to, here's how they've, here's what the church has done throughout history, and you just stick that into the modern time in the modern day, and all of a sudden that template, so to speak. All of a sudden, you do find people doing that. You don't find perfect men doing it perfectly. You find sinners who are under under Christ, you know, defending the Bible, God's Word, and defending the Gospel, as Christianity has always done. Now, all of a sudden, you go from being just five people on the Internet, criticizing just about everything that is on, available on the Internet, you know. <laughs> have, have you noticed that the focus isn't isn't calling people to repentance for their sins or, you know, to deal with the ordinary things that the Bible deals with, such as being a father and a husband and a mother and a child and, you know, a neighbor. You, you notice how their attention isn't on that? It's, it's pulling people to, quote-unquote, pulling them to Christ, you know, in the name of politics or economics or, you know, eschatological things like end times theology and, you know, what's coming and predicting what's coming and, you notice how that's their that that's the primary thing they focus on is warning everyone about all these external things, but not ever dealing with the things that the Bible deals with, like the the heart and your own personal sin. And you know, for example, how we talk to our parents, how we raise our children, those types of things. See, that's what the Bible is addressing, because we're sinners even in the smallest thing. In fact, we're sinners even in the way that we pray. We're sinners in the way that we think. We're sinners in the, the way that we, you know, try and deal with our own uh, shortcomings or our own righteousness even. Really, we're sinners through and through. And without Christ's work and without his blood to atone for us, to stand in the way, we are due. We, are, we deserve everything as far as God's judgment is concerned. We deserve it all. But in Christ... We are freed from that. We are not bound to that. He's paid the full price, which is why the law no longer carries the weight against us, but the law becomes for us, and that now, through forgiveness and through seeing God's mercy, we now are drawn back towards the law properly, not to doing good works for our own righteousness, not doing good works for our own reconciliation before God to atone for our sins, none of that, but going towards good works because they glorify God, 
because they're beneficial to his people, because they're good for us, you know, and because they bless others. And see, the, and the whole purpose behind it has been all diluted and confused when you get on the Internet and find these people. And I'm not just saying they're on the Internet. They're in, some, they're in pulpits, you know, in the local churches and things like that. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not just saying it's only on the Internet, but seriously, we've got a problem here when the focus goes off of dealing with the individual Christian to trying to pull in or convince people intellectually or historically or economically or politically or ecclesiastically into all these different things that don't really address the root of the issue, which has always been, what has God said in the gospel? <laughs> that's God's word and his solution. You know, that that's it. And people will say Jesus They'll say accept Jesus. They'll say things like that. But is that the biblical is that the biblical command that scripture gives us? No. It's what they've crafted to kind of pay lip service to the gospel, to pay lip service to because really what their heart where their heart is really drawn is in all the mysteries and all of the decoding and all the fascinations with history and all the dark corners of the earth and all that. That's really where their heart is. So because they, they know that that would be wrong because the law is written upon their heart, they know that, that that would not be justified before a holy God. They try and rationalize it. They try and cover it up by saying, we're doing this for the sake of the gospel. We're doing this to convert people. And yet they don't even realize they're disobeying Scripture when they do that. Well, I'm guilty of that, so you're talking to Ditto. guilty. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah, same here, man. You know that. I mean, you and I were chatting with each other uh, you know, a while back on various shows and on various topics. And again, I agree with you. I don't think we should negate all that history. I certainly haven't. You know, I understand the threat and the danger behind, you know, uh, more religions than I ever thought possible, but primarily stemming from Rome. I certainly understand that history. I understand the history of the Jesuits and the danger therein. I, I understand who Antichrist is, who the church is always, proclaimed him to be, you know, from their earliest understandings of it. I mean, I, I've learned a lot, but I, I've also seen a lot of bunny trails, a lot of things that don't have anything to do with what God's words is dealing with. People have to bend over backwards to try and make it fit. Um, even with history, they got to kind of twist things into making it all kind of oversimplified with no gray areas or all is simply one thing, one of two things only, you know, and that's an oversimplification, and it's not, it's not honest. It's not dealing with the complexities that have, you know, happened throughout history. So, yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot, and I think a lot of really good things. Here, here's, here's where I see it being beneficial. How does it, how does it become a tool in my toolbox, so to speak, in dealing with people for the sake of the gospel? If it doesn't have that application, then it's worthless to me. Then it's worthless to me. If I cannot use it to to share with, and here's what I've, here's my point, Michael, in saying all this, you know, stuff, is the more history I've learned, the more that I've come to understand about church history and world history and things like that, the more, the more I'm able to address things with people and talk to people about things and, you know, and present the gospel. And be able to say, hey, you know, here's here's another example of where man has fallen short and where we need, 
you know, Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins, you know, repent, believe, be saved. You know, I mean, just in any which way we can, that needs to be our primary focus. And history is a great, is a great thing for that. Uh, but not just history, also the practical stuff, the, the practical, you know, things that the Bible points to, as, as, you know, in dealing with that. And anyway, I, you know, what do, I mean, what do you think? I think you're right. I think that the issue, uh, when I look, I'm learning from, uh, you know, this conversation and uh, listening to a guy like James White is uh, that uh, what is the point in all this? The point is somehow that the answer is the gospel, and he's he's actually a good example of demonstrating what you know is what it should lead to, <laughs> right? The answer, which is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the gospel, and repentance, and uh, following Him, and uh, obeying Him. So I think that's yeah. And you know, I think that's. I think he's he's actually uh, quite. He's a very good example of it, and uh, probably the reason why so many people don't like him, like you said earlier, is because he keeps bringing up. He doesn't. He's, he's not tantalizing enough. You know what I mean? He's not. He's not a Tom Ferris who will give you every gory ge- detail that you want about the papacy and how corrupt the Roman Catholic Church is, but clearly he's a man who doesn't have a clue what the gospel is. <laughs> Well, he, he doesn't turn he doesn't turn the history into law, in which to whip you with. And see, that's what a lot of that's what that's kind you're of talking right about. James James White doesn't do that. Yeah, James White he doesn't take the history and turn it into some sort of law, in in which to get you under his uh, his certain belief system. He presents the history, even the contradictions of history, to point out how the gospel has been defended and how God's word has been preserved. That's his. He's arguing against Mormons and. and you know, Muslims and atheists and, you know, various people within Christianity. You know, I mean, that, that's his primary, that's his platform. You know, that his, his, whole, his whole debate theme is always based on that. You know, what does Scripture say, you know, and how has the church dealt with this stuff in the past? I mean, that's his primary, you know, so his use of history is to promote the gospel and to defend it, not to then turn it into the gospel and what I mean by that is that some people are saying, you know, here's what history teaches us. Now, here's what we have to do. Well, they're turning history into law. They're taking – do people realize that, the, that the, the King James translators were Calvinists? Do they realize that? But they'll go against the King James translators with Arminianism. Do they, do they realize that the King James only – I'm just using King James only as an example – do they realize the King James translators even said in their own introduction to the King James Bible that it's not the Bible, the word, that it's merely a translation into English, God's actual word? You know, I mean, it's just, it, it baffles me how, how it's been, it, how twisted it gets. And again, you and I were just as much, not, we weren't just, you know, spectators eating popcorn. I mean, we were in it. We were defending it. We were, you know, throwing stones. We were right in there in the midst. And it, it's a valuable, valuable lesson, really. And p- part of the only, I'll be honest with you, Michael, the only reason why I do this 
is because I have a heart for the people that I met and the people that I came to love and, you know, and talk with for hours regarding this stuff. I mean, you know, some of these people are really good people who are just off on their own tangent, you know? Um, of course, when I say good people, there's none good for Christ. I'm just, you know, speaking as a man here. So, I, I mean, nice people that I that I cared about, that I do care about. I mean, not past tense, but you know what I'm saying. I haven't talked to most of them in a long time. But I get on here and I, and I talk with you and I, I talk with other people because I know the pull that it has and I know the distraction that it can be and how hard it can kind of be to come out of that. And I have so many people have said, oh, don't spend any more time, don't do any, and I, you know, to me it's like, look, the Bible is very clear. Share the gospel everywhere to anyone at any time. Be ready in season and out to give that gospel. And so that's what I've, I've tried to obey that command out of delight and out of concern, you know, both, you know, so that's why I'm doing this, you know, like, my wife's waiting for me inside. I'm walking around my neighborhood. I probably got neighbors thinking, who is this guy? You know, keeps walking around, talking about crazy stuff. I'm doing that because I care about presenting the gospel. It's what it, it, it's, it's not only what we're supposed to do as Christians, it's what we delight in doing. And, and especially against things that put you back in under the law or things that bind you all over again negating the gospel or forsaking it or putting it away. You want to talk about making God's word of no effect? How about throwing your own traditions in there? It's exactly the context of how the verse is being used. When you have your little tradition in there, and you uphold that and you use it as if presumptuously, you know, God has told you that that's the tradition we ought to keep, then we've got a problem. And that is now putting people in back, or trying to anyway, back in under the law, and whipping them with it. That's really what it is. It's whipping them with it. We can't use this history to, to then turn around and tell people, here's what you have to do. You know, you have to start wearing culottes, uh, no shirts that go above the elbow, you know, or, okay, that, some people say, oh, that doesn't apply. That's, that's an ad hominem attack, you know, straw man. You know, that's not really what anyone's talking about. Okay, well, you know, how about just things like the King James Bible? You know, where that wasn't even, that wasn't throughout Christianity, throughout even the history of the translation being, you know, presented and drafted and all that. Nobody was making those arguments. It, it, they're, they're, again, they're, they're about 150 years old at that. They weren't even mainstream, you know, or as popular, I should say, as they are today. I mean, that's relatively all new. And again, it's not in defense of the gospel. It's in defense of tradition because, you know, most King James onlyists will tell you, unless they're very extreme, I tell you that people can be saved hearing the gospel preached from another translation, which then kind of negates the whole argument because that's the primary purpose of God's word is to convict man of their sin, to bring them to repentance, to have forgiveness. That's the part they always leave out. That's, you know, have you noticed that's the part they always leave out? is that it's not your work being done, but his. That it's through forgiveness that one is saved. Not repentance alone. What did Paul say? That there's not all sorrow brings us to repentance. Not all sorrow is of repentance. You know, 
I mean, some sorrow, but some sorrow to repentance. I mean, repentance in and of itself is not what saves. It's repentance and the belief in the forgiveness and having Christ forgive us, having God forgive us through Christ. That's what saves us, the forgiveness. And that's the part they're always withholding. They're saying, you better repent and do. You better repent and get back up and do. And you better repent again and get back up and do. But they're always leaving out the part that actually saves. Right. You know? Forgiveness. Where to find a church like that? <laughs> well, how, what was your church experience like? Did you go? I think you said you went, right? What was that like? How, how did it? Good, bad? Don't know yet? I don't know yet. I'm going to go back this Sunday and see. We'll see how it goes. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, it's problem. I had my son, and because he was just uh, trying to stay focused, but, you know, when you have a three-and-a-half-year-old boy, it's just uh, quite a bit of a challenge. So, And, uh, you know, it's it's too early to say. Um, it's too early to say, so I don't know. I guess what the questions that I have is really bizarre because the church is right behind. So, so there's like a, a, a Calvary church right next to it that's huge, and there are people playing baseball and all these people... <laughs> hanging out and doing stuff, and then they had their church and it had like uh, about a dozen people on it. And oh, I'm like, wow. I'm like, why is this church so small? What's wrong about this church? Um, what's going on with it? So, I don't know. It's probably the fact that God's word is being preached there. Throwing <laughs> <laughs> baseball games and cotton candy out front. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll ch- I'll check it out again. Because, you know, the, my biggest, to be honest with you, my concern is to be wrapped up in another cultish church, you know. It's another church that's basically a cult, you know. And that's my that's my life and I's fear. I mean, yeah. we, I've, I've openly admitted we've struggled. To, now, there's probably, there's probably two that are, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's more, but we've only found two that we're comfortable with trying out. Yeah, I think I think we're going to be a little a little shaky just from the past couple of years, Michael, and, and you've dealt with this a lot longer than I have. Uh, you know, I mean, I get it. I understand the hesitation, and and again, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's any condemnation here in forcing people back into you know church or anything like that. It's more or less we need to be searching it out. Um, well, because people desire that. And I don't want it to be a damaging experience for my son. Yeah. I know what religion is like, and you do too, growing up in, in religion. And he, quite frankly, if it wasn't for the mercy, once again, to the grace of God, you and I wouldn't, we could be like a lot of other people. And well, regardless it, of what church you go to, the parent, you, Michael, are the one raising your child. The church doesn't do that, you know. So whatever church you find, you're the one raising them. You're the one who's going to have to sit them down and explain these things to them. Either way, and I'm well, sure yeah. you know that. But that's that. Let that be an encouragement to you. That God hasn't given your son over to anybody. You're, you know, he's still in your care, you know. And uh, 
And so, you know, just hopefully that's somewhat of an encouragement. I mean, yeah, it can be terrifying as a parent to think about, but at the same time, it should be encouraging because, you know, I mean, you can go to, uh, you, there's so many people on the internet telling you not to go to church for the sake of your children. But then I would, I could pose the same argument and say, well, what about not having them a part of, you know, a body of people that are faithfully, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that argument that you're not supposed to go to church for the sake of your children. I think it's just, it's important not to send them or have them being part of a, a cult or a false yep. church. One is teaching the wrong thing and it, it uh, will end up, instead of them, instead of helping them grow in Christ, will cause them to hate them. And quite specifically, I mean, that's what uh, a lot of these organiz- these religions are, that's what they their, their number one accomplishment is is that whether it's Roman Catholicism or the daughter churches, it's uh, they've probably done more damage than good because they have overstepped their bounds and what they're supposed to be doing, you know. So yeah, absolutely. But, but let me let me just say something. Nothing new. Nothing absolutely, new. It's, it's been that way the forever. Dealt with it. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. So we, you know, we we can trust that God's word is sufficient. You you share God's word with your your child, read it to them, teach them what it says. You've got a lot of help. I mean, the internet is almost like you know the second printing press in an, in, to an extent. You can, I mean, yes, you can find all sorts of junk out there, but you can you have access to all sorts of historical stuff. I mean, so many people of history. I'm not talking about modern day stuff. You know, even in just history itself, so many good books written from reliable, trustworthy sources, you know, uh, on how to raise children and what to teach your children. I mean, the confessions and the catechisms are just even even more simplistic, you know. So we've got a lot of great resources, and God's Word prevails. Well, you know, honestly, when it comes to that, honestly, when it comes to the church itself, the body of Christ, as far as getting together with people, like you said, <clears throat> they're not going to, you know, for an hour a week or a couple hours a week, it's not going to be anything close to what I can do for my, myself and my son and with the resources we have. It's more about this, the social interaction with fellow Christians that we miss, and we talked about this, that we can't, you can't have via the Internet. So that's what it really comes down to. Because let's face it, you know, there's a lot of good sermons on the line too. But a good chance that it's whatever church we decide to go to, we're not going to witness in that church. <laughs> you know what I mean, the quality of sermons, just that alone, or the quality of the uh, Bible study, or whatever, you know. So, but um, still. Um, they're still supposed to get together. We need to get together. He needs it. I need it. Uh, we need to be one other people. We can't just stare at, at, at a screen for the rest of our lives. That's not. Exi- that's kind of missing the point as well. So, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a time and place for those sorts of things. I think it's a great tool. I've met a lot of you know people, and unfortunately, I've don't have much relationship with them anymore, but I can certainly see how the internet 
and you know all that. It's such a great tool, and there's a time and a place for it. But I think there's also a time and place for going outside and talking with your neighbor and sharing the gospel with them. And you know, it doesn't always have to be confrontational. But I can guarantee you right now, if you're arguing with your family and your neighbors about economics, politics, uh, you know, uh, you know, holidays even, and not presenting the gospel, there's a problem. You know, if it's just merely to prove all the stuff that you know or all the stuff that you've learned or to prove how most people are wrong today, that isn't the gospel. That It just isn't. It may, you may think that it is, but it's not. Scripture tells us exactly what the gospel is and exactly how to share it. You know, and there's no weakness in it. There is no, uh, you know, watering it down. Uh, it's very bold. The, the gospel is very bold. But we're told to be gentle, and we're told to be loving, and not loving in the sense of affection only. But it's, a, in other words, it's 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 meant to be delivered exactly how the Bible tells us to do it, and that puts a lot of restraint on us from turning the gospel into you know our own platform. But it's also you know a restraint for the person hearing, because we got to understand we have to have faith here, and when I say have faith, I mean we have to understand that it isn't the, the sight and the sounds that we're going off of. It's uh, off of God's promise to us that he's glorified when his gospel is proclaimed, regardless of whether or not people accept it or not. The basis, the premise, is not on whether or not people agree or accept it. The, the base, the foundation of it is that truth is being proclaimed and that God is sovereign, that God is being glorified in whether it's he's executing his justice or whether he's delivering and giving his grace. And that's what we get to see. That's what we get to experience as his children is we get to see that happening and we get to glorify God in our proclamation of the truth in a loving way. And telling, telling the truth is love. It is the loving to tell the truth. You know, that's the whole point of sharing the gospel. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't mean you have to water it down or soften the blow. In fact, if you do that, you're doing it wrong. But it doesn't mean that we get to, uh, you know, or or overemphasize the law, you know, and start whipping people with it because that's not what it's for, so on and so forth. I mean, that's a whole other conversation for another time. I, I should probably get going here, but yeah. I mean, what well, do you as far as I mean, well, my experience has been is that with my family and the people around me, I don't even get that opportunity. Sure, possible. They just, you know, like, you know, Sunday when we're talking, that turned out to be an absolute disaster. My family totally disrespects me all, all the way around. So um, there's no, they don't value anything that I say or do. So, but that's part of the journey, too. And that's part of the, the gig as well. A lot of times we just got to say, well, not much I can do about it. You know, if the opportunity arises, I will share it. But many times, people that we care about the most don't want to hear anything. They don't care. They don't care as much as maybe we do. So we have to accept that as well. So, but I guess as if they're ready for when that time may come, they may not as well. So who knows? And then a day, well, my friend, it could be somebody in Timbuktu or somewhere in China that will listen to this show, and that's the person that we're supposed to reach. And unfortunately, it might not be a family member. So, 
I'm not passing judgment. I'm not saying, you know, that it's not the case. I'm just saying, from my personal experience in life, well, <laughs> I didn't even get a chance to even say anything, let alone share the gospel. So, <laughs> brother, sisters, parents, uh, it doesn't matter who it is, you know. Um, I have uh, just my experience, so. And I think a part of it has to do with the illness and my situation that they... You know, the world operates with their eyes, and they see what they see, and they believe what they believe. And uh, I don't know about you, but my own personal experience has been uh, there is not, I haven't really, I've never had a meaningful conversation with any of my siblings or uh, uh, anybody in my family. And I'm not just saying, well, it was me and feel sorry for me. It's just reality. I can't, it, this never happened. It's just part of this. Literally, it's happening. I mean, so. Go ahead. Well, in my situation, a lot of the damage done between my family and I has been my own fault. I mean, I have taught them so many false things. I mean, I you know, back in my two or three years ago, when I was really heavy into you know, what you and I have called the fear porn movement, I was throwing so many things that had nothing to do with the gospel at them. But for the fact that, for the, the fact that they don't trust me or look at me kind of skeptically, I don't blame them. I'll be honest with you, the reason why my family doesn't really listen to a whole lot of what I have to say is my own fault. Because of my own sins that I was just pushing all over them. So my prayer, you know, nowadays, because, you know, of course that hurts and, uh, it stinks, you know, but I trust God and that, you know, not only that it happened, but that he's, you know, more than capable, more than able to, to, in other words, they're not, you know, lost because of me or, you know, uh, found because of me. They're, they are saved or unsaved, you know, according to his will and to his good pleasure, meaning he has mercy upon whom he will have mercy and uh and i have I totally trust God in his sovereign will and uh in his freedom and uh you know I, it's not determinate upon me, and that uh, I have been forgiven my sins, and that doesn't before God that doesn't mean I'm not going to pay for the consequences you know uh of those I've wronged here and now, but before God, you know I've repented and realized that I was prideful, arrogant pushy. I wasn't even presenting the gospel. I was doing all of these things in the name of God, presumptuously, and uh, it stinks. And some of the consequences of that I'm still dealing with and having to realize that I may not be the person that gets the honor and the privilege of sharing the gospel with them um, or getting to see them understand that. Or And again, I'm not saying uh, my family isn't saved or anything like that. It's not the I don't know. I'm not able to see their heart, but I'll tell you right now, uh, just as I was for many years and, and still having to deal with even today, you know, they they have some pretty dangerous false doctrines that they, they hold to and some traditions that aren't even biblical. And, uh, I mean, a lot of my family's Pentecostal, charismatic, you know, uh, and all that. Now, again, my point in saying all this, Michael, is that hopefully it's some encouragement, but also some some reality check, you know, I, I just pray that God bring someone to them that they will listen to yeah. and that he will 
he will get through to them. That's and that if he wants to use me, that he mold me into the, that person. But 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 aside from that, I've had to repent for my own sins and dealing with my family. And uh, that's just the cold hard reality of it. <laughs> Is I wasn't I wasn't living a life worthy of the gospel. I was living a very self righteous, uh, self promoting, you know. And uh, and I understand why they wouldn't want to listen to me. I was very disrespectful of my family, and very wrong, you know. So, well, it's funny that you say because you know with my situation, it, it's it's totally screwed up. So <laughs> it's enough, maybe for another another day, another story. But in a day, you know, <laughs> for me, it's uh, they're all incredibly disrespectful to me, and. They say that I am, but the truth of the matter is, I, I'm telling you, I've never had. A, you and I have this evening have talked more than I have of any of my siblings, or definitely any of my parents. So, and it's not my choice; it's their choice. <laughs> I don't and it's something that it's always been that way. I think it's part of just being part of a very dysfunctional family. So, a lot of garbage and baggage from the past and then probably may never be healed. You know what I mean? There's nothing I can do about it. So I don't know if that makes any sense. And people might think that I'm sounding like I'm just passing the buck, but if you can't even get to, you know, having a, a conversation, let alone, you know, where do you go from there? <laughs> And every time I've ever tried to even open my mouth about much of anything, I get shut down. So it doesn't really matter what it is. So, so, but that's that's. I think that's part of my family. And quite frankly, if I think about it, probably a lot of who I am. I think God's changing me, certainly making me more receptive to people like you. I mean, I think about like let's think about us and our own journey together. And four or five, well, six months ago, me, you know having a show and barking at you. Here are you and I are talking. <laughs> Everybody else that I was with is gone, but you and I are here talking about the gospel. And I, God works in very interesting ways that you never you never would think. I definitely didn't think that, you you know, six months ago that you and I would be, you know, having a show together and talking about the gospel and sharing our experience with people and our hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Um, never would have thought that. You know, and everyone else that was part of that, you know, just like you, we all went. To, we both went through the same thing. I guess it's it was necessary to. I can see for myself at least it was necessary to, to find out what really is important and what isn't, and um, learn the things that I had to learn through folks like whether it was Walt or or uh, York or York or uh, Tom, or whoever it may be, the many other ones. And actually, I'm really grateful that I went through all those experiences, because now I recognize that which is of true value and that which is not. You know what I mean? As far as... yeah, I'm not saying them personally as people. I'm saying as the conversation goes and what... You know. <clears throat> you know, I know a lot about the Roman Catholic Church, and quite frankly... The more and more I study, I mean, it's just like a, like a Washington and Laparole. I'm going to start reading that. 
chapter three, and I'm just like, I'm kind of sick of it. I mean, I'm interested in knowing about things like if you talk, like I shared last night in the show about how there are 32 um, archdioceses in the United States, and actually it's 33 if you include the one that's launched the year the the military. And so there's 32nd and 33rd are both in Washington, and obviously that's no coincidence of 32 to 33, and you know, there are cults and all that kind of stuff. But I thought that was interesting, but it's like, it's good to know, but it's not really that important to know. And I'm like, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like doesn't, it just bring you, doesn't it bring you closer to Jesus to know that? I, it, it, do, it does, it does, <laughs> it does, but it does, you know, it's like, do I want to be someone who knows every little detail, minutia about how wicked this, the world is and its system and all that? I really don't. Exactly. You know, that's never ending. It is never ending. It's the truth. You can know of. A, a, you can know a, a wrong, uh, a, a falsehood, or a wrongdoing, or a sin, simply by scripture. You focus on that. Now you're dealing with the actual, not the temporal thing, but the eternal thing. You know, false doctrine versus true doctrine, false gospel versus true gospel, false Christ versus true Christ. Now we're dealing with things that where's our focus on eternal things, on the kingdom of heaven, on the kingdom of God and not in this life. We can know all the minutia of the world. That ain't going to do any good. There's so much there, and it's, an inf- if it, it's almost it's impossible for the mind to, to, actual, to actually intellectually hold all of that. Now, again, I think there's a lot of great resources, as you were saying. There's, there's a good, I mean, for those who have a misunderstanding about it or don't, I mean, that, the, the issue of today is not an understanding of history. It's, an, it's a misunderstanding of doctrine. It's a, it's a not a having the gospel preached anymore, but some weird form of it or some lightened up version of it or something like that. You know, when people think gospel, they think law. No, gospel is a proper distinction between the law and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness, law, gospel. You know, that, that whole thing is just so muddled nowadays that if you just simply focused on doctrine, true doctrine, true gospel, that you would be busy for a lifetime. And anything you come across, for example, I'll just use the old dollar bill analogy. I know everyone's heard it, but here's where it it properly fits. If you know the real deal, if if you study the dollar bill well enough, and that's your focus, and that's what you cling to, then any counterfeit easily stands out. And you don't have to understand all of the minutia of every single counterfeit and every single way to counterfeit a dollar bill, if you simply study the real thing, everything else stands out pretty quickly. Otherwise, you're going to spend your whole life studying the counterfeit and how the counterfeit can be made and the thousands of different ways a counterfeit can be made, but you never actually draw close, draw near, depend upon, cling to the real deal. And that's, that's what the Bible's telling us here, is to focus on Christ and his word, to do what he commands, to share the gospel, to live a life worthy of the gospel as a, as a living sacrifice, dealing with our own sins, raising our families, serving the Lord in our vocation and everything that we do, 
it's a simple thing here. Yet man does what man always does because of sin. He goes chasing after all sorts of stuff that makes him feel more important, feel justified, feel, you know, vindicated, and all sorts of other traps that are just of our own wicked heart and our own vain imagination. So is there is there a lot to study about the Romans? Absolutely. They have a gospel that doesn't save. They're pretty, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're one of the largest religions in the world. Absolutely. But they're not the only one. I mean, hello. We've got we've got we've got the the we've got an evangelical, you know, compromise of epic proportions going on in our country right now. And is anyone really focused on that? Not a whole lot of people. They're all focused on, you know, fixing this political thing or fixing that economical thing or going back to this translation or something like that. You know, and it's just it's anyway, man. I every time you say something, that's just that can send me off into another. 20 minute, you know, thing, just because I'm a talker. But anyway, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. So, yeah. Well, we'll keep on doing and doing, learning and growing and hopefully. Sharing it with others. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we can do. So sometimes I wonder, but yeah, it's, well, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know right now, so. But I do appreciate you sharing your time with me, and uh, and I uh, hope somebody gets something out of it. And uh, well, I guess for the message that I would like to have people get out of this as well is not only the focus on the gospel, but uh, give a guy like James White his his fair chance because you might actually get something more than you bargained for if you listen to him. And yeah. Uh, set you free from some more legalism and some more bondage and a bunch of other mindless traditions that just cloud us, cloud our thinking and help us, you know, so. Yeah, he's a, just so people know, I mean, because I'm pretty sure your audience is, I mean, he's a reformed Baptist from the historic, you know, defending historic Christianity. So he's, he's not a dispensationalist, he's not a futurist uh, or anything like that. I don't know if your audience knows that, but again, you know, I mean, that's, I used to think that he, he was just, you know, some one, just another one of those kooky, you know, people just attacking certain things. Go to find out he's, you know, literally, uh, uh, I don't want to name names here, but, you know, essentially kind of, kind of the person that, you know, a lot of us who were studying all this history and, digging into the reformers or kind of hoping, you know, existed. Well, there you not go. just James White. There's actually a bunch of people, including James White, that are reformed and hold to the historic thing and know they don't freak out and spend every sermon. And, well, I, I will say this. I don't think the issue of biblical prophecy from the historic tradition is being talked about nearly enough. I will admit that. I do find that to be an issue. Um, and I think the only way to really deal with that is to uh, bring it up with other Christians. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, go, like, go meet up with other Christians and bring up the subject and say, hey, you know, didn't, I mean, why do we not talk about this issue anymore? Why don't we bring up the fact that the Reformers literally called out the Antichrist and the man of sin and said, why don't we talk about this anymore? 
And there are churches who do. I've literally heard the sermons preached from the pulpit, you know, but I don't think it's talked about nearly enough. Um, and that might be something that I have to, to learn to deal with or, you know, that God is dealing with the church on, you know, as we speak. I don't know. But I certainly don't think it's being talked about nearly enough. But I also don't see the big glaring flaw um, that uh, so many people are. Anyway, man, there I go again. Woo-hoo. Okay, <laughs> we'll end it there. Have a good well, night. Thank you yeah, for. I do appreciate it. Thank you. And I think, uh, uh, thank God. So at least we've got uh, you and a few other folks out there that's willing to spend some time with me on my journey. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, man. God bless. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.